Welcome to episode three of Ross is Just Saying. If you haven't tuned in before, welcome. My name's Ross Hemsworth. I'm a former TV and radio presenter who, according to the way that media now seems to work in the UK, is well past his sell-by date and of no further interest to TV or radio networks. Yes, folks, ageism remains rife in the industry, regardless of how much they may deny it. Now, I'm known for a rant or two. I'm not politically correct, and I never will be, and I am prone to swear on occasion. How can you not when you're living under this current UK government? So this is the warning that I give you before every podcast. If you listen further, things I say may offend. There you go, you've been warned. In this month's podcast, I'll be looking at state pensions in the UK, the constantly rising pensionable age, and how anyone can be expected to live on £800 a month in a society where housing, bills and groceries are constantly rising, and why pensioners are being asked to keep working until they die by this current government. I'll also be asking the perhaps controversial question, should any person reaching pensionable age on just a state pension and with no sizeable assets such as their own property have all their outstanding debts wiped out automatically when they reach such pensionable age? What do you think? I'll also be comparing the state pensions in some of the other European countries and discussing the recent French street protests when their government decided to raise their pensionable age. Why is it here in the UK we just moan about it on social media or down the pub, but we rarely actually get off our arses and take to the streets? Well, I reached 66 later this month, and although I was told from the age of 16 I'd get a state pension when I was 65, things have changed. My, have they changed. And they're changing again soon, so for some, they'll have to wait even longer. Due to various things that have happened over my 50-plus years as a taxpayer, and contributor to the national insurance pot, I have only a state pension ahead of me, so I've got little choice but to keep on working. If, and that's a big if, anyone will actually employ an old bloke. Not as easy as it sounds, believe me. There are some questions and comments included from my social media followers who are always welcome, and if you want to contribute to future podcasts, then please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. So, let's get episode three underway. The state pension age is due to rise from 66 to 67 between 2026 and 2028. The change will be phased in, which means there'll be periods when the state pension age is 66 and between 1 and 11 months. This move has been legislated for since 2014. There's that word again, legislation. They keep moving the bloody goalposts, don't they? There have been government moves to bring this forward which have been challenged and have so far meant the move being put on hold, but I think we can be reasonably certain it is going to happen. I read this week that those already qualified for the old state pension continue to receive it, and only new claimants receive the new state pension. Eventually the old state pension will be phased out completely. That, my friends, is extremely concerning, if true. So why are the government seemingly trying to freeze out people who have given so much to society all of their working lives? Well, perhaps leading us to believe that the few that have not contributed to tax and NI are mostly to blame. So will the state pensioners we know it disappear in the years ahead? Well, I found this very interesting quote online. The answer to this question isn't yet set in stone, 
but there have been rumours about the state pension being abolished for several years. Back in 2018, the government's actuaries department, GAD, estimated that the UK's increasingly ageing population could drive the state pension fund to run dry by 2033. Why has this been allowed to happen if they foresaw a shortage of funds in 2018? Surely the national insurance pot hasn't got that low when the various past governments had firm figures on the number of people about to enter retirement in the years ahead. So I sent a freedom of information request to the Treasury because I'd been told that the government regularly borrow from the NI pot and this is the reply I received. Make of it what you will. Dear Ross Hemsworth, Freedom of Information Act 2000. Thank you for your inquiry of the 16th of May 2023, which we have considered under the terms of the Freedom of Information Act 2000. You asked the following information. Re-National Insurance Fund spending and borrowing over the past 13 years of government. I am requesting, under the rules of FOI, a complete breakdown of the use of national insurance funds over the past 13 years by the Treasury, acting on behalf of this government. It has been brought to my attention that some of these monies may have been borrowed, inverted commas, for use in other departments and in areas for which the public money should not have been allocated. And I therefore request transparent information that clarifies whether or not this has been the case and if so, how much is due to be repaid and by when. The information you have requested is already in the public domain under Section 21 of the FOI Act. Public authorities are not obliged to reissue information where it is already publicly accessible. To be helpful, a link to the information is provided below, which is gov.uk forward slash government forward slash publications forward slash national dash insurance dash fund dash accounts. I thought it would be useful to explain outside of the FOI Act how the National Insurance Fund is used. The NIF is used to fund spending on contributory benefits, including the state pension. In the 2021-22 financial year, the NIF was used to finance £109 billion of contributory benefit spending. It may also be helpful to explain how surplus funds in the NIF are invested via the National Insurance Fund Investment Account, NIFIA. In recent financial years, receipts from National Insurance Contributions, NICs, have exceeded spending on contributory benefits. This has led to significant surplus in the NIF. The government considers it prudent that these excess funds are invested to support the sustainability of contributory benefit spending. Funds can be paid over to the NIFIA and may be invested by commissioners for the reduction of the national debt in any manner specified in paragraphs 1, 2, 3, 8, 9 and 9A of Part 2 of Schedule 1 to the Trustees Investments Act 1961. In practice, this means exposure is limited to UK government or government-guaranteed instruments and or cash deposits. Further information on the NIFIA can be found in the link above, as well as the NIFIA accounts and reports, which can be found at gov.uk forward slash government forward slash collections forward slash national dash insurance dash fund dash investment dash account. It's also worth noting that around 20% of NIC receipts are allocated directly to the NHS. The rest, around 80% of NIC's receipts, go directly into the NIF to fund contributory benefit spending. 
If you have any queries about this letter, please contact us. Oh, be sure I will. Please quote the reference number above in any future communications. Yours sincerely, the Information Rights Unit. Now, there's some interesting points there for me. Were surplus funds in the NIF invested via the National Insurance Fund Investment Account, NIFIA? And it's also worth noting that around 20% of NIC receipts are allocated directly to the NHS. The rest, around 80% of NIC receipts, go directly into the NIF to fund contributory benefit spending. So where exactly do these surplus funds come into it? If 20% goes, as they say, to the NHS and the other 80% to contributory benefit spending, surely there should be no surplus existing. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's no mention within their responses to the alleged borrowing from the NI fund for other uses, which I'd heard about from a reliable source within journalistic circles, but whom has suddenly gone very quiet, as they often do. Yet we continue to see the government saying how short they are of money to spend on the NHS, welfare and pensions. Go figure! On the matter of the future of the state pension, I found an interesting article on boringmoney.co.uk and I'd like to read you a section from it. The money for the state pension comes mostly from national insurance contributions and at the time the GAD released their report, there were 1,000 contributing workers to every 310 claiming pensions. They estimated that by 2036 this would rise to 1,000 workers to every 360 pensioners. If we were already overdrawn five years ago, it's not difficult to imagine that this could be the straw that breaks the Treasury camel's back. Indeed, it appears that many of us are already anticipating a future without the state pension in it. A new report by the think tank Phoenix Insights, check them out, estimates that half of Brits under the age of 50 believe that there probably won't be a state pension by the time they retire. Worryingly, almost one in five, 19% of people aged between 50 and 64, just years away from retirement, agree with this statement too. Even with the state pensions still around for the time being, it's not enough for most people to make ends meet. The full new state pension for 2023-24 is just £203.85 per week, assuming, of course, that you qualify it. More details are in the state pension guide. According to data from the Office for National Statistics, the ONS, as of February 2023, the average total weekly pay in the UK was £638. So the full state pension is currently only 32% of what the average British worker would typically earn in their weekly pay. The report goes on to say, Of course, nobody knows for sure if the state pension will be scrapped, so don't start panicking just yet. Besides, it's not like the government will introduce a Logan's Run policy or get Thanos to snap his fingers. If it gets as bad as the GAD predicted, the government will almost certainly do something about it. But this something probably won't be very cosy. And since the full state pension isn't much to live off even now, it's better to start finding other ways to protect yourself and to boost your retirement income. Now, of course, many can afford private pensions. Others have plans to downsize their own homes and to cash in the money for their retirement, which is all well and good if you're in that position. But what happens when things go wrong? I had my own sizable home in Dunstable some years ago, with 16 years of the mortgage paid, when I entered a messy divorce. I lost that home completely. Now that had been my plan for my retirement fund. You downsize, don't you? It's the way it goes. Sell the house when the family move out, get something a bit smaller. 
the other money goes into savings, tops up your pension. Also, during the same period, I had to stop making payments on my own private pension that I had taken out because financial hardship meant I could not afford these monthly contributions. So yes, I had planned for the future, but all of those safety nets weren't as safe as I'd considered them to be at the time. So take that as a warning if you truly believe that everything in your own garden is bloody rosy, because quite often it's not as rosy as you think, and the roses don't always bloom. In my last episode of this podcast, I told you about how the bankers use debt to create new money, and how debt is used as a form of control. For this reason, they are happy to sign you up to their long-term mortgages and then hold on to the deeds as their security. It's in fact their asset until it's paid, and then a bailiff's wet dream if you run into debt thereafter. It doesn't therefore always make for the dream retirement that you may have hoped it would be, or the dream you were given when you were 16. I found another interesting article whilst researching this episode from a website called unbiased.co.uk. Increased state pension age to 75. What? Proposes Think Tank. The article's by Nick Green, a financial journalist, and was updated on the 25th of January 2023. He says, Could the state pension age be raised to 75? That's the proposal of the controversial think tank behind Universal Credit, while a report by Aviva reveals worrying ignorance over pensions in general. State pension ages are rising across the world, and the UK is no exception. By October 2020, Brits will have to wait until their 66th birthday to start drawing their state pension, and many born in the 60s and 70s will be 67 before they can draw theirs. The final scheduled increase as it stands is for 2028, but the government has not ruled out more. Now, the Centre for Social Justice, the CSJ, founded by Ian Duncan Smith, there's a name that haunts the past, the former Work and Pension Secretary has proposed far steeper increases. It suggests changing the state pension age to 70 by 2028 and to 75 by 2035. The CSJ said the ageing population and the increasing old age dependency ratio, the OADR, is raising serious concerns about long-term fiscal sustainability in the UK. If we expect the state pension to continue in the future, along with the full functioning of public services, the UK's fiscal balance must be corrected. The OADR measures the ratio between the population of elderly people, 65 or over, and those of working age. At present, there are just over 28 people over 65 for every 100 people between the ages of 15 and 64. However, the OADR is predicted to hit 48 by 2050. The CSJ says that its proposals are justified because people are living longer, pointing out that the average life expectancy was around 50 when the state pension was first introduced, but is now 81. So sure about that myself, how many people do you know that have died in their 50s, 60s and early 70s just lately? So they go on to say, government policy on raising state pension age... The government was quick to point out that this is not its current policy. A statement issued by the Department of Work and Pensions in 2017 said, We raise the future retirement age to 68, so that is sustainable for now and for future generations. Meanwhile, Baroness Ros Altman, a Conservative peer and former pensions minister, called the CSJ proposals chilling and immoral, warning it would force people to work into old age 
shorten life expectancies and force more to claim benefits. Now what are we seeing right now? We're seeing the government asking us to work into old age, re-enter the workplace instead of taking retirement and more and more people dying. I worked for a while as a trucker on the roads doing European music tours, UK work, general haulage and the amount of trucking friends that have died recently that are either my age or younger is actually quite scary. The CSJ is not an official source of government policy making. However, it was the first to propose the government's benefits policy of universal credit. Look what happened there. Pension awareness among the public remains low. Any changes in the UK's pensions regime are likely to catch many by surprise due to low levels of knowledge on the subject. A recent report by insurance provider Aviva found that millions over the age of 45 are still baffled by pensions and think about them little, if at all. Quite worrying, isn't it? Two-thirds of workers in this age group say they don't know how much they need to save for a comfortable retirement, and some 5 million do not even know how much they already have saved in various pension pots. The report highlights a dangerous complacency amongst people less than 20 years from retirement. Given that 40% did not know how much state pension they would receive, it is likely that many are still overestimating the extent to which the state will support them. This general importance around pensions is potentially a time bomb for today's workers, especially if the state pension age continues to rise, making private savings all the more essential. Lindsay Ricks of Aviva said, without a clear picture of what they currently have saved or might need to save for a comfortable retirement, our findings show many UK employees are approaching retirement with their eyes closed, with no realistic idea of how near or far they are from their destination. Why it's never too late to save a pension pot. The report does, however, offer some comfort to workers who have fallen behind with their pension savings. It points out that even an employee aged 45, with no private pension savings at all, could still build a pot worth over £56,000 by the age of 65, assuming the average UK salary of 28000 and the minimum worker and employer contributions. Although this would only provide an income of around 2500 a year over a whole retirement, this would still be a valuable supplement to the state pension, which at maximum is currently £8,777 a year. Now it's fine for a site to say you should build a private pension pot, but what happens if that pension fund crashes, as so many have done over recent years, or if the company you work for have not contributed correctly, or maybe you start out with good intentions of having a private pension, but fall on hard times and can't continue those payments. Like so many promises in life, it doesn't always deliver on that promise for many varying reasons. Mendip Mobility Limited, established in 2007. Mendip Mobility Limited are keen to spend some time with everyone who comes through our doors and to make sure you get exactly what you require. Discuss your options and needs, provide demonstrations both in-store and at home to make sure the products you purchase are perfect for your needs. We strive to give a one-stop shop environment for your specific requirements and have chosen our supply partners carefully, thereby ensuring continuity in quality and supply with excellent backup capabilities. Our staff are knowledgeable, friendly, but not pushy. 
You are able to see most of our products on the website, but our advice is it's always better to come into the shops and see for yourself and ensure that what you are getting is what you need and want. We are very proud of our top-notch servicing and maintenance team offering an excellent, fast, efficient aftercare service. Some would say the best in the southwest. We are also your local Motability Scheme dealership covering both Somerset and Wiltshire. Find us at 146 High Street in Street, Somerset, 41 Forest Hill, Yeovil and 2B Paxcroft Way, Trowbridge. Or call us on 01458 448 355. Visit the website at menditmobility.co.uk Right, now let's move on to debt when you enter pensionable age. If you get to your state pension age but have considerable debt and no way to continue meeting payments, be sure they'll come after you and they will take anything that you may have left. Banks, credit card suppliers care little for the fact you may be old or in poor health, possibly even with a terminal illness. So there is a case to argue that under certain circumstances debt should be totally written off at the age of 65 or 66 if the pensioner can prove they have no means to pay these and will not have so in the foreseeable future. Obviously the banks would argue against it, but it actually might not be such a ludicrous idea. If a pensioner can prove they only have a state pension, no other assets, no house, then they could almost certainly qualify for pension credits and possibly other benefits which in turn would come from the welfare pot, the very thing the government are telling us is running out. Surely then the burden would come off that pot if debts could be cleared to allow the pensioner to only have rent, council tax, groceries and basic bills to pay and become free of other debt. It's what's called priority debt, isn't it? Your rent or your mortgage, whatever you've got to pay to keep those things. But if someone could come along and snatch a house that you've been paying for for 16, 17, 18 years, maybe longer, that's ludicrous. So there should be a get-out clause as far as retirement goes, I believe. I think it's an idea that should at very least be discussed. So what are your thoughts? Come onto my uh, Facebook page and make a comment. Let me know what you think. Now let's look at disabled or infirmed pensioners that need care, additional help and assistance, special or supported housing and treatments that may not be quickly accessible on the NHS. The Government UK website states the following. Attendance allowance helps with extra costs if you have a disability severe enough that you need someone to help look after you. It's paid at two different rates and how much you get depends on the level of care that you need because of your disability. You could get £68.10 or £101.75 a week to help with personal support if you are both physically or mentally disabled or a state pension age or older. So that small amount is supposed to help. Hmm, forgive me for swearing, but fuck's sake. This is total bollocks in my opinion. Have you ever encountered the actual costs of care in the UK right now? Okay, well you might argue again about the shrinking benefit pot, but would you still be arguing if it was you or a close family member that suddenly was put into this position? I'm all too familiar with the I'm alright Jack society in which we currently live, because if it doesn't affect you directly or it comes from your taxes, then you're probably going to argue against me here. But I spent a while working with disabled and infirm people, and I heard so many stories that most of you listening would be totally shocked by it. Just step back for a moment. Look at your own current position, which may well be rosy. But here's just one scenario that can happen to any one of us in an instant. Someone hits you in your car when you're out, 
You're told by the hospital you'll never walk again. You'll spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair needing someone to wipe your ass for you. Your life will never be the same again. You can no longer get through your front door which needs to be widened and a ramp installed for your wheelchair. A full-time carer is needed. Your company have let you go because you can no longer do the job and the pension and the health insurance you had always meant to take out had constantly been put off. Now this is just one scenario. Others include a sudden diagnosis of cancer, dementia or another disabilitating disease, maybe a stroke, even a heart attack. Believe me, these can happen at any age, not just when you're old. Are you really as comfortable as you thought you were? Are you really wanting to stay a member of the I'm Alright Jack Society? Because if you are, you're not in my tribe. Now I read this on the Age UK website whilst researching today's episode of Just Saying. Nearly a million older people are just one bill away from financial disaster as a new report shows the reality of trying to meet the extra costs of ageing on a low income. This Age UK article was published on the 6th of April in 2019, so it's a few years out of date now, but I felt it was worthwhile bringing into the show. Pensioner poverty numbers have once again increased, with 2 million pensioners now living in poverty, and nearly a million, 930,000, saying they would be unable to pay an unexpected bill of £200, according to recently released government figures. Bear in mind this was before everything went up a few years ago, you know? In a new policy report, Struggling On, published today, this was 2019, Age UK sets out the realities of living on a low fixed income in retirement, that coping strategies for older people have developed in order to manage and the intense difficulties they face in trying to meet the additional unavoidable costs of ageing which present big daily challenges for them, yet are often overlooked by policymakers. Based on the in-depth interviews with older people, struggling on shows how the need for extra spending due to ill health, disability, living in insecure or poor housing or away from family and friends makes life incredibly difficult as you get older if there's not much money coming in. The charity is warning that those with health and care needs are particularly likely to struggle as a result of having to spend more on heating, laundry, transport, care, health care and other such items. National figures show that people aged 65 plus in England with a care need, for example, are twice as likely to say they don't manage well with their finances as those without, and 61% more likely to find they have insufficient money to spend on meeting their needs. Poverty rates are much higher among older tenants than homeowners, with 29% of social tenants and 35% of private tenants living in poverty compared to 16% of all pensioners. The older people interviewed by Age UK's researchers describe the strategies they use in the face of financial hardship. For example, spending less on food, less on heating, doing without new clothes or outgoings, taking out repayment plans to afford new electrical items or furniture, seeking to keep working and claiming any available benefits. Many appeared resigned to the increasing costs they encountered in later life and their need to watch every penny which was nonetheless a constant source of worry to them. In its report, the charity makes a series of recommendations and calls on the government and others to take action to make life better for the older people in our society who are barely getting by. The key recommendations from Age UK's report 
The government must work with the advice sector to look at how free, independent and accessible information and advice is provided and funded so that older people in difficult financial circumstances can get the help they need to reclaim their entitlements. Universal benefits such as bus passes and free TV licences provide essential additional support to all those who need help, including the very poorest who may otherwise miss out on their benefits and need to be preserved. Hmm. Do we still get free TV licences? Hmm. Regulators must ensure that the price of essential services such as insurance, energy and water, very significant costs for older people on low incomes, are actually affordable to them. Policymakers must recognise the importance of everyone being able to build and maintain at least a modest savings buffer, essential for financial resilience and peace of mind in later life. The government must urgently work with local authorities to improve the situation of older renters. Levels of poverty are much higher amongst pensioners who rent rather than own their own homes. The charity is also warning that many pensioners who are financially stretched have been caught out by the steep rise in state pension age since 2010, with upcoming policy changes to pension credit and housing benefit for mixed-age couples set to make the position worse still for those affected. The potential loss of a free TV licence for the over-75s poses another major threat to some of our oldest citizens who are struggling to get by and at an annual cost of more than £150 a year could be well beyond their means, placing those who rely on their television for news, entertainment and companionship in a horrible situation. Millions of pensioners on a low income are also missing out on their share of £3.8 billion because they are not claiming vital benefits such as pension credit, which could make a huge difference to their weekly incomes. Caroline Abrahams, charity director at Age UK, said, Our new report lifts the lid on what it is like to struggle financially in later life at a time when pensioner poverty is on the rise. The report goes on, but I just want to bring in here a couple of comments that have come in on the on the website at my Facebook page, where I always ask people if they want to make a comment about an upcoming show. Karen Archer, via Facebook, says, Morning, Ross. With regards to protesting, I think it depends on what people are protesting about. Also, the media does not show all the protests, and it's not always clear what really is going on unless you are there. The last few years have proved that. Also, when talking to people, a lot don't seem to be aware of what's really going on. I'm not sure that everyone should have their debts wiped. If people have overspent, then that should be on them, really. I guess it would depend on what was spent, what it was spent on in the first place. I'm not of pensionable age yet, but I would imagine that the state pension would be really hard to live off. With the way everything has gone up, I would imagine it's almost impossible. I don't believe that pensioners are a drain on the taxpayer. Most of them have paid their taxes for many years. Plus, why should they not have a comfortable life in their twilight years? I've thought for years that the state pension will disappear at some point. I think that's why they're making companies have company pensions for everyone. Although I'm not sure if this will be in our lifetime. Well, not this one anyway. Thank you for that, Karen. Galena Sota, I, I hope I've pronounced that uh, correctly, Galena. She says, I want to retire at 60, not 65, and I'm not happy. Would love to see her stand up and fight like France. Peter Beresford, a Brit now living in Brazil, says, The only way to survive on that amount of money is to sell up and move to a cheaper country. He also suggests Portugal in a further comment, which has more easily achievable access to immigration for people of the UK than other EU countries. Now, a couple of points that I'd raised on the discussion forum, which I haven't been into here, were about the difference in protests between what we do here in the UK, where we sit at home and whinge on the internet, 
or whinge amongst our friends down the pub. Whereas the French get out, they close the roads, they close the ports and they stop the goddamn country. Isn't it about time we got off our bloody asses and did that here? We need to do something. It's all right you're saying, oh, well, old age doesn't affect me. It bloody well will one day if you live that long. So get off your ass, get out there, and instead of having to go at people like Just Stop Oil, do it yourself. Block the roads, block the streets, block the ports, and tell this government it's time for a bloody general election. DNN Transport are looking for Class 1 drivers who can be available at short notice for supermarket shifts. Mainly Sainsbury's, and will need a contractor card to work at Sainsbury's, and Tesco's. Currently, shifts are up to 10 hours plus the time it takes to get from the yard in Western Supermare to the RDC. Over 21 and two years experience due to insurance. The yard is based in Western Supermare. The pay is 170 to 200 pounds per shift paid the next day after the shift is completed. Please email d.ntransport at hotmail.com. That's d.ntransport at hotmail.com. Right, well... That's it for this time around. I'll be back soon with more episodes of Ross is Just Saying, including a debate I'm really looking forward to with a very special guest on artificial intelligence, AI. Whether it's not only about to take all of our jobs, but whether it might eventually lead to a Logan's Run-style society where there's no further use of people who cannot work and where there is no longer a welfare fund to assist us. If all of these people are out of work and there's no welfare to claim from, what's going to happen to those people? Now, we've often heard this term, a drain on the taxpayer, referred to to pensioners, welfare claimants, benefit claimants. But what about if you became a drain on the taxpayer simply because AI had taken your job? It could happen, folks. It's coming up in the next show. Remember, visit my Facebook page, leave me your comments. It's facebook.com forward slash Ross Hemsworth. Ross is Just Saying is presented and produced by me, Ross Hemsworth. The theme music is written by Tim Bragg and myself and is sung by Tim Bragg. This has been a Remote Highway production and all rights are reserved. Check us out at remotehighway.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Just saying, gonna go on strike.